All right, well, uh, let's get into what I wanted to talk about today, uh, which is interesting with Jake's call to worship, uh, leaves me with a little, a couple other ideas, a couple of thoughts. Um, but, uh, you know, Pastor has been going through this, uh, this series about what in the heck is going on with our world. And, and one of the big premises of that is how do we not lose our witness with what's going on? Well, as I, uh, as I have opportunity to preach, not every Sunday, but from just from time to time, I have the opportunity to really uh, sometimes really preach what's on my heart uh, based on my personal circumstances. And this is, uh, this is one of those cases. This is uh, uh, God actually uh, convicted me about this. Um, and, uh, you know, he just, he just laid this on my heart. And through our reading, I really uh, uh, saw this one pericope in Philippians, and it jumped out at me. Uh, so for the bulk of today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about joy. And the, the title of this pericope, depending on what version you read, uh, what, what Bible you're using, uh, I use the ESV, and it says lights in the world. And I thought, you know, that really speaks to our witness. Um, now I want to make a, a, I do want to do a disclaimer here, because this is something that's dear to my heart as well. You know, Jake was this morning in a call to worship was talking a lot about, you know, uh, we take every thought captive and we work to renew our minds. And the big idea of today's message is that joy is a choice that we can make and choosing our choosing joy is part of our witness. Now, I want to be careful because statistics are going to tell us that uh, there's probably somebody in this room that's dealing with depression. And I have family members that are dealing with depression. And I'm, this is not a message that says you can just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. Because that is not the case. I believe that's unbiblical. Uh, I believe that depression is something that a lot of people deal with. And I believe that is uh, hopefully one of the, the thoughts I can convey through this, uh, through this message is that depression is something that we deal with, but God can even use that. God can work in that. That's part of what joy is, is keeping our focus on what God is doing. Uh, but just a quick example of how we can see uh, that depression is not an opposite of joy, or joy is not the opposite of depression. The two can go hand in hand. Uh, if anybody spent any time in the Psalms, you can really, uh, you can really see that. Uh, psalm 13 is one, it's a very short psalm. I'm just going to read this whole thing so we can see how David reacts to this depression. It says, uh, Verse 1, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O, o Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has bount, dealt bountifully with me. So as you can see from that psalm, David's wrestling with this idea of depression. He's despairing of life. But yet at the end, he chooses to say, I will rejoice. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So as we get into this message today, like I said, I don't want to turn everybody or anybody just away right away. This goes for the people uh, watching online as well. Like I said, depression is a real thing, and I'm not here to say that we can just click our fingers and make a decision and be over it. But I also believe 
that through that, through that depression, like Jake was saying this morning, you take every thought captive. Depression is real. There might be a medical issue. There might be a psychological issue that's causing it. But quite often, we make a choice to feed it rather than confront it. We make a choice to focus on the negative and on the, the, the bad things rather than focusing on our Savior. So with that, I want to get into our text today. Uh, so we'll be back to Philippians 2 and just a, a quick rundown about, uh, about the book of Philippians. Uh, this book always amazes me when I read it to think about um, who wrote it and the conditions that he was in. Uh, the book of Philippians was written by Paul uh, as he was in prison. Um, Paul actually planted the church in Philippi, and about 10 years later, he was arrested. So you think about this letter as Paul's writing. Uh, he's in prison, but then he writes this intensely personal letter. And all throughout this letter is this attitude of joy. And he uses words like glad and rejoice. Uh, by my count, it was like 16 times he's either glad, joy, or rejoice in four chapters. This from a man that's confined in prison, that's uh, awaiting what he thinks might be a possible death sentence. And you can, you can see that as you read through the rest of the book. He thinks he's going to die in prison, but yet he's speaking of joy and gladness. How can this be? As we read through this text and, and uh, read really through the book and, and start to tear this apart, we can really see this. So uh, I'm going to start here in uh, Philippians 2, verse 12. We're going to read this whole text, and then we're going to kind of uh, pull it apart and then uh, look at some application. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, just pray with me real quick here. Father, we thank you uh, for your word that does speak to us uh, so uh, intimately, so, uh, so personally. Lord, I pray that uh, as we've read your word, Lord, that, uh, that you would uh, open our hearts now to just receive the, what it is that you're saying, Lord, that, uh, that you would be glorified in this, that, uh, that we would be edified in this, that you would be uh, exalted, that Christ would be seen as, uh, as sufficient and uh, and that you would just receive glory, Lord. Stir in us now to, to take in what it is that you're showing us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as uh, I don't know, you guys, did you guys enjoy when Pastor and Pastor Lee and Pastor Scott were up here last week? I did too, and uh, uh, it never gets old, you know. I don't know. At some point there, they were talking about the therefores in Scripture. And if it's therefore, you got pretty excited. If it's therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for, right? This passage that we're looking at starts with a therefore. When we see this therefore, this points back really to, to the earlier parts of, of chapter 2, but also to chapter 1. But what it really points to, what I'm seeing, is it points to uh, the authority of Christ. And it points to the example of Christ. It points to the humility of Christ. This is the basis for everything else that, that comes after this. 
Paul points out to when he planted a church. We go back and we see some of that in Philippians 1, and he says, Obey. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul's saying, obey. Now, we can take this and look as Paul saying, obey me. In a way, he is, but he's saying, obey Christ. Obey the gospel. That's what started. This is what started this whole thing. When Paul came to the church of Philippi in the first place, or Philippi, and uh, founded the church, they obeyed the gospel. This is what he's calling them to obey, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This next, uh, uh, next verse here is something that, that causes a lot of tension. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, this is where I want to be careful. This is what I was talking about. You know, Jake was talking a lot about we make a choice. Uh, to take every thought captive. And I'm standing here telling you that joy is a choice that we make. And this is very true. But what Paul's saying here is work out your own salvation, not work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. He's saying that since you've been saved, work from that position. We know that this is not the case to work for your salvation because in the letter of Ephesians, Paul, Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Work out your salvation. Because you have been saved, your life should reflect it. Therefore, in the light of Christ's exaltation, therefore, in the light of Christ's uh, authority, because of His humility, because of His example, because of I understand what He did for me, my life should reflect that. I'm not working for my salvation, but I'm working from a position of gratitude for what He's already done. Then Paul goes on to say, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like he said, this is one of the great tensions of the Christian life, the balance between our responsibility and God's sovereignty. How we don't, you know, we've been saved. We absolutely have a responsibility. But it says that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we look at this verse here, these couple verses, and we look back at Philippians uh, chapter 2, and I'm just going to read this whole section here from 5 through 11. It says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and under earth, and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In the light of what I just read there, If you can look at these passages, this scripture, and see what Christ did, see that Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, that our Savior stepped out of a perfect paradise in heaven to come and be part of his creation. Jesus calling. Jesus calling. Okay. But he stepped out of 
perfect paradise in heaven and came and took part in our creation to take the form of a weakened body, a, a flesh body that's susceptible to sickness, susceptible to uh, disease, that's susceptible to fatigue and all kinds of other things. You look at the authority that he has now, it says that every knee will bow. Not just those that choose to, but every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Not just the ones that are here confessing it today, but every tongue will confess. You will be forced to see the glory of Jesus Christ. You look at all this and realize that he set all that aside and he came so that you could be saved. If that doesn't stir in your heart uh, the will to want to work then, then you need to check your salvation. I'm not saying that you're not saved, but I'm saying that this is the truth. This is where if, if that has hit in your heart and you are not affected by it, the gospel has not taken root in you. Now, if you do grasp hold of this, if you do realize what the, the creator of heaven and earth did on your behalf to, to make you his own, and it sparks joy in your heart, and it sparks a longing to know Him more in your heart, if it sparks a desire to, to want to see Him glorified, then that has been the gospel taking root in your heart. And that's where all of this begins. That desire, that will to work for His good pleasure, that's where it starts. It's starting in the gospel. Like I said, I can't fully explain this, this tension between our work, our responsibility, and, and, and God's sovereignty but I know full well that they coincide. And I know that as I serve him, he puts a desire in my heart to do something. Sometimes I don't do it right, but nonetheless, that's his desire. And what's even better than that is as he puts that desire in my heart, he equips me to do it. He gives me power, just the same as you. If he calls you to do something, if he puts that desire in your heart, then he's going to work those things together to where you can serve him. So as we move on through this, we can see as, as Paul goes on to write this from verse 14 and following, this is how we work out our salvation. This is how we are to act because we have been saved. These are the things that we uh, need to identify and, and, and act upon. Verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. He said, these are Paul's directions on how to live this out. Looking back, this is how you are to have the mind of Christ. This is how you are to serve one another and build one another up and show humility to one another. When Paul writes this letter to Philippians, uh, unity is a big deal in this church. They're starting to divide, and he's, part of his writing is to, to encourage a unity that's starting to fall apart. This is why he says, do all things without grumbling and arguing. That does nothing but create division. does nothing but create um, uh, separations and angst and animosity towards one another. You can gather with a group and be uh, disputing and arguing and grumbling about stuff in this corner, but guess what? As soon as you leave, that group's liable to be arguing and grumbling and disgruntled about you. And what's that do for you? It's just, it's just all... Uh, this is so often what happens. This is part of why I chose this, uh, this passage, this message, and how we keep our witness. Because uh, it, it's interesting, since we've started to come out of this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have gone back to work 
And you know what they say when they get back to work? It's negative there. I feel like everybody's just at one another's throats. I feel that everybody's in a bad mood. I feel that everybody's just waiting for the next person uh, to either get sick or they're wondering why they have to be there. They were doing their job from home fine. It's a negative world in a lot of cases. It's this grumbling and this arguing and this disputing. That was the atmosphere that I was in for a while. And, and uh, you know, I read through this passage and it hit me that joy... I read through the book, not, not just this passage, but I read through the book, and I said, you know, joy is a choice, and I have to make that choice. I have to follow what God has laid on my heart. When everybody's over here in a group talking negative about the situation, I need to remove myself from that, and I need to focus on the gospel. I need to focus on what Christ is doing, what Christ has done. Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This kind of moves us as we're looking at this, as we're walking through this passage, this kind of moves us from the individual about working out your own salvation and you do all things without grumbling and disputing. And it kind of moves us more into the corporate theme. Because he says that you may be blameless, innocent children of God, this, this plurality. I'm always thinking about how much our kids resemble us. Anybody, anybody notice that? I looked at Zach the other day, and I thought, wow. And I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me. Uh, Lee Sr. was one of those one day. I was sitting here with my wife, Sarah, and he came up behind me, and he said, man, I thought that was your dad sitting there. Uh, Thank you, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but... You know, what's that? <laughs> yeah. But, but we are, whether we like it or not, we resemble our, our parents. Or we, if they're part of our upbringing, if we're really close to them, we resemble our parents. And this is what, part of what this text is saying. We serve a holy and an upright God. We serve a God that does not uh, talk negative about people unless he's absolutely telling the truth. Like, he has the authority to do that. He has the authority to make that judgment. We don't. When we think about innocent and blameless children of God, we're supposed to represent those characteristics that, that he has, not the negative ones. We build a community that looks blameless. None of us can be perfect. We can't all be, uh, none of us in here is sinless, and we cannot build a 100% sinless community this side of the return of Jesus Christ. But we can stand apart from the rest of the world. When the rest of the world is kind of at one another's throats, and they, they want to talk bad about people, we don't need to do that in the church. We can sit here, uh, we should be sitting here, we should be looking at one another and how we can build one another up, how we can encourage one another. That's the choice that we make. That's what fosters joy, is that, that seeing where God is working in different people and pointing that out. To see what the Holy Spirit's doing in their lives. To, to proclaim what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. You know, to talk about these good things, not grumbling and arguing. See, Paul uses this language of a crooked and twisted generation. Uh, and he actually gets that from a psalm. Or, I'm sorry, not from a psalm, but a song that Moses sang in uh, Deuteronomy 32.5. Uh, I find this interesting when we look at the children of God and the, this grumbling 
because uh, that's what that's what Paul's calling out here. If you guys want to turn there quick, or it'll come up. Uh, Deuteronomy five says they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. I'm sure most of us remember the story about the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And they come out of Egypt and, excuse me, uh, things are going pretty well. God's doing some miraculous things. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He's giving them food. He's giving them water. He's giving them security from the Egyptian army by, by spread, spreading the Red, with the Red Sea wide open and letting them cross safely. And what do the Israelites do? They grumble. They complain. Oh, we're hungry. Here's quail. Oh, we got too much quail. I mean, at every turn, they're complaining. This attitude in their hearts, the Word says that it caused them to be blemished. I think of blemished, and I think we're aware of what they had to sacrifice back for Pentecost or for the, the weekly sacrifices, a, a, a lamb, a year old, unblemished. Their attitude made them unacceptable to God. This attitude of grumbling and arguing made them unacceptable to God. Now, there again, I want to be careful because as Christians, you know, if we have put our trust in Christ, we are saved. We cannot be made unacceptable to Christ. But our attitude certainly can be. We are saved, but our attitudes are what we need to adjust. Our attitudes are what we need to fix. And that's a choice. That's a choice that we can make. Joy is a choice that we can make, and choosing that joy is part of keeping our witness. Paul is writing to this group of uh, Christians so that they can be a witness. That's what this whole pericope is about, lights in the world. People of Israel grumbled, and their lack of faith and trust and obedience is what really uh, separated them from God at that point, which is why they spent another 40 years wandering around the wilderness. Paul says that that shouldn't be so among us. I love this line here. He says, uh, holding fast to the word of life, or I'm sorry, that you may shine as lights in the world. When, uh, when I was studying this, and I, it, it came up over and over again, this shining as lights in the world, it's summertime. We're looking at bonfires and going outside. Anybody else like to just kind of wait till it's really dark and look at the stars? Yes, I see hands going up everywhere. That's what we're called to be. That's what this language is, that we shine like the stars in the night sky. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that so many of us live in, and so many of us travel to work in every day, that the church... It's supposed to be that bright spot. It's supposed to shine like lights in the night sky. We're supposed to stand out so differently from the rest of the world that every eye is drawn to who we are and what we're doing. And that's ultimately a choice that we make to, uh, to focus on the right things. Joy brings about the unity that Paul's urging. Grumbling and arguing only divides it. In verse 16, Paul states that, the, that as the Philippians continued in this endurance, that that's his source of joy. He says that, uh, so in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
And I love the way that this, this comes together with Paul there. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon your sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's writing from prison, awaiting a death sentence, what he thinks is a death sentence. We know as we, as we read through Acts that this wasn't his death sentence. But he's in prison thinking that any day could be his last day. And he's not focused on that. He's focused on what the, the Philippian church is doing, what God is doing through the Philippian church. He's saying that you would continue in, in your endurance and the faith. That's where my joy is found. And not only that, he says, not only my joy, but I want you to be glad and rejoice with me. Not in the conditions that you're in, but in the fact that God is still working through it. God is working in the midst of those uh, conditions, those circumstances. I forgot to give you guys the definition of biblical joy, and this is what this is all pointing to. Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish His work in and through our lives. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, yes, these circumstances that I'm in jail, they stink. They're no good. Not for me. But he says early in the letter that this is actually, uh, God is using it to promote the gospel. He's saying that your endurance is what my joy is going to be found in. How can Paul have this attitude? As I was studying for this, I looked at, uh, Zach's got one of those big study Bibles, but his is an HCSB, I use the ESB. And I found this line in here that I love. It says, Paul's theology of life formed his, the basis for his optimism. Paul's theology of life formed the basis of his optimism. See, Paul understood that all these things could work together for good. Paul wrote that in, uh, in Romans. Paul understood that our God works all things to the counsel of his will. He wrote that in Ephesians. Paul wrote that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wrote that in Philippians. Paul's theology of life formed the basis for his optimism. That's the same thing that we're called to. Our theology of life should form the basis of our optimism. The New Testament is full of these verses that tell us that these things that happen, the negativity around us, the conditions that we have to go through, the, the things that we have to suffer, there's no way around it. The things we have to suffer are ultimately working together because God is working through those. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This is a, a couple of you in here. I know this is some of your, one of your favorite books. But James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In the midst of our suffering and our trials, we can stand there and focus on the suffering and the trial, or we can look for what God's doing in the midst of it. He's making us perfect and complete. That's where joy is found. Joy is not found in the, the, the immediate situation. There's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is an emotion that we feel good. Everything's going right today, and I'm happy. Tomorrow morning, 
nothing's really changed, but I stubbed my toe on the side of the bed when I walked around, and suddenly I'm off to a bad day. My happiness has been stolen, but I can still have joy. I can still have joy because uh, maybe I needed that trip to the emergency room to find something else that was wrong in the broken toe. But nonetheless, we look at what God's doing through the, uh, the bigger situation. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7 says, Who by God's power are being saved. That's us as Christians. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice. We find joy in what Christ has already done. Like I said, that, that salvation. We work out our salvation, but we work from that position of knowing that Christ has already done it. He's already saved us, and we move forward from that. Choosing joy doesn't mean we'll always be happy. Some trials and tribulations are going to remove all, uh, all ability to be happy. I started out saying that you know depression is something that's real. Sometimes your joy is only going to be found through wringing your hands and tears and holding on to one or two scriptures that this light and momentary affliction is producing in us a weight of glory. That God is working all things together. He's good. Happiness is not part of the equation, but joy is. Joy is that choice we make to focus on what, what Christ is doing, what Christ has already done. There's many out there in our lives that have a, a they put on a good show of joy. There's a lot of people in my life that I know that when you talk to them, they always seem to be in a good mood. They always seem to be happy. When I speak of joy in a biblical sense, I'm not talking about that perky, bubbly type of happiness or attitude. I'm talking about a joy that is rooted deep in who you are because you know who He is. I'm talking about a, a joy that uh, can't be taken away by circumstances. Some of those people that I see are purpley, perky and bubbly. I wonder, what's life like when they go home? Are they putting on a show just for people? Sometimes I wonder if they're just clueless about what's going on in the world. Sometimes I wonder if they really see what's happening. You know, if uh, as Christians, we should be mourning about what's happening in the world from time to time. But we know that we have a Savior who's in control, ultimately, and that He is working these things to our good. True and lasting joy and the ability to see hope and purpose in a bad situation, that's what the Holy Spirit works in us. Um, if you guys will turn to Galatians 5, 19 through 23, this, this, really, uh, this really shows us a, a great picture, I think, of, of where, where the world is and, and where we should be as we follow the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Choosing joy is choosing to walk by the Spirit. Choosing joy is not pulling up your bootstraps and going out there and making a decision to be happy. Choosing joy is the outflowing of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. You guys have heard Pastor up here many times say, quit trying to be Jesus. Let Jesus be through you. That's what Paul conveys in several of his writings. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. This list here from uh, verse 19, the, the di dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and, and these things, that's the flesh. That's the flesh that cries out. That's what you put to death. You identify that as that's what's separating you from, uh, from the Spirit of God. When you do that, if you have been saved, if you have taken in the gospel and it's taken root in you, you don't have to work for joy. You're going to look towards Christ. You're going to look towards what He is doing, what He's already done. When we follow our flesh, even though we might be saved, if we follow our flesh, we look just like the rest of the world. That's where, that's where the, especially the American church, I think, is getting it wrong quite often, is that there's no real difference between the American church and just the American general population that's not Christian, that's not saved is that we can leave here. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this very thing uh, who uh, was really taken back. He said, you know, I was going to church, and uh, I really loved it, and I enjoyed it, but the same people that I went to church with were the same people that I was drinking with on Friday night. And a lot of you guys know me. I don't have a problem with drinking, but the Bible's very clear. Don't be drunk. The Bible's very clear that we are to shine as lights in the world. So if we're acting just like the rest of the world and we can go out and, 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 and be that Christian that goes to church on Sunday morning but gets drunk on Friday night or that Christian that, that comes to church on Sunday morning and then goes in the corner at work and starts cussing and carrying on and bad-mouthing everybody else around them, where's the difference? You're called to shine like a light in the world. You're called uh, to let the Spirit of God work in you and work through you. And as he does that, he's going to work in the people around you. So that choosing joy, that choosing to put to death what is earthly in us, that choosing to follow the Spirit, to keep in step the Spirit, that's where we work out our salvation. Because we have been saved, we have the ability to do that. We have the ability to, to stand firm on what God has said. Now, like I said, even though it might be through tears, we can hold on to those promises that were given to us as God's children. We choose joy by following the Spirit. We bring unity to our church. We bring unity to our communities. When we bring that unity and we choose to stand out, we make that rest of the world say, what is up with them? Where is their joy come from? I've thought about asking people that, that I see that joy in, that, that those people that are always happy. Where do you get that? How do you get that? Well, as followers of Christ, even if we're not perky and bubbly, when we're able to stand strong and stand true, stand, uh, stand committed to the Word of God, stand committed to following Christ in the midst of these trials and tribulations, that's an attractive thing that the world needs. And that gives us the opportunity to share it with them.
Choosing joy is a matter of remembering the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves, understanding that Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that the Savior of the world humbled himself, and he did that for me. He stepped out of heaven, and he became a servant. Now I need to be a servant. He left that example for me to follow. That's choosing joy. It's choosing to focus on that. Um, so as we go by out here, and we uh, hopefully you guys are all going to enjoy a, a, a nice picnic uh, and Memorial Day weekend here, keep that in mind, that when the rest of the world is grumbling and complaining, and it's stealing their witness, if they're Christians, it's stealing their witness, don't let it steal your witness. Focus on what Christ has done. Focus on what Christ is doing. Uh, join with me in prayer, and, uh, and we'll close up. Father, we thank you uh, that we can be here and that we can uh, uh, just uh, soak in your word. Lord, I pray that uh, as, we, as we go out into the world, as we go back to our jobs, as we go celebrate Memorial Day, whatever it may be, Lord, that, uh, uh, that the conviction of your spirit is, is leading us to put to death those things that are earthly in us. Uh, not that we can uh, do it on our own, not that we can uh, white-knuckle it, and, and just uh, save ourselves or make that change in our hearts on our own, Lord. But it's, uh, it's you that's working in us. It's you that works in us to do your will for your good pleasure. It's you that empowers us, Lord. So help us to not focus on ourselves. Help us to die to ourselves and to focus on you. Lord, help us to live that life of, of faith in Jesus Christ that, that the rest of the world needs to see, that the rest of the world uh, longs to see the difference. God, we ask that uh, uh, you would just continue to stir in our hearts, Lord. You would be with us until we meet again here uh, later in the week or next week, but uh, that in everything that we do, you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week.